Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everybody and welcome back once again to another exciting episode of the Fuel Better Podcast. In today's show I am joined by colleague, coach and friend Emmett Dunleavy. They're in the running circles or triathlon community, you will likely know his name. Emmett is the coach to a fair chunk of Ireland's top track and field athletes at the moment and he has just come off the back of running a hugely successful Dublin City Marathon programme which I was part of. In this episode we talk about what it's like to coach athletes at the highest level, what's actually involved in coaching an athlete at that level, what are some of the considerations you take into account, Emmett's own background as an athlete and we'll talk about some of the trends we see emerging in athletes as it relates to diet after all this is the fuel better podcast before we get into that a couple of exciting announcements if you are looking to work with the team in the new year i highly encourage you to fill out the application to join us and get your name on that waiting list there's currently about 30 people on the waiting list looking to start with us in january so to avoid disappointment get your name in early and we can get you started asap Bar that, we've got some extremely exciting projects brewing. So to rattle them off without going into too much detail, possibly a sports nutrition brand, a website store including t-shirts, the hashtag carbs may or may not be making it to an online store near you. The online nutrition course for Ironman athletes is now five chapters deep and we are looking at launching some really interesting webinars some services and an in-person seminar yes you heard me keep an eye out for information on this an in-person seminar early in 2023 lots of exciting stuff but for now let's hunker down and settle into today's episode with renowned coach Emmett Dunleavy bar that Emma Dunleavy, welcome to the Fuel Better podcast. Could you take two minutes to introduce yourself to our guests? Thanks, Evan. So I guess uh, most people will probably know me from uh, a coaching background over the last couple of years, but in terms of where I come from originally, I suppose I was an athlete uh, for a few years through all the way through juvenile level, through senior level, uh, probably touched on a little bit of master stuff before I finished, uh, pretty much finished up my own running career at this stage. And... Yeah, I've been coaching for the last eight years, pretty much on a full-time basis. Um, kind of fell into it uh, accidentally, which we might chat about later on. But um, yeah, the last couple of years, I just started off initially coaching a lot of club runners, had a little bit of success, and then we gradually built up, uh, I suppose, 
perfect pacing business where I'm coaching a lot of club athletes and also now coaching a fairly elite group as well. So we've got quite a few athletes, you know, at the sharper end of things, uh, not just in Ireland, but on the even on the international scene. And uh, we've got Eurocross coming up now in two weeks' time. So forward the group are going to that. So uh, yeah, that's kind of I suppose where I'm at in terms of how I've uh, where I'm at in terms of coaching and, and a very rough outline of where I came from. I have a lot of questions because I know you tend to be the one asking questions and I don't know if the mic gets turned back on you an awful lot necessarily, but as a coach, how how do you feel your role as a coach is more than just about programming running for people? Because the way the way I see you do it, it's a lot more than just do this session. There, there's like a developmental aspect to it as well. Yeah, I guess with any athlete, you're trying to build a relationship with them as much as giving them a running program. And I think where I've had probably more success over the years is where you have a bit of a connection with the athlete and there's a trust there that there's there's regular communication for a start. Both sides have to be honest in terms of I've got to give them a little bit of honest feedback on their, their week's training or their workouts or whatever that might be. And there needs to be, you know, honesty from the athlete as well, and that they're willing to open up and tell you everything that's going on. And, and that might not be just getting the splits and the heart rates from a training session. It might be telling you, you know, what's going on in life outside of running. And very often, as you find over the years, when athletes are not making progress, it's generally less to do with the training because most athletes are fairly dedicated. They're willing to put in those couple of hours a week of running, you know, run, willing to run however many miles are required to have success. When you often find that there's, um, you know, not too much traction or not too much progress, it's because there's a lot of stuff going on outside. So that might be work stress, it might be family stress. Uh, sometimes it can be on the fueling side of things, and that's something I've probably discovered more in the last few years. Um, but you've got to have that two-way relationship. That if you don't uh, have that regular communication, and if both sides aren't going to be honest, uh, it's very hard to get progress. And ultimately, that is something that takes time. Uh, a relationship between a coach and athlete takes time to build up and it's uh yeah you you're gradually you know i suppose building a picture of the athlete over time and knowing what works for them what doesn't give their lifestyle and everything else and eventually you start getting a bit of progress out of it hopefully start running running faster and running pvs really interesting and uh, you know what I, I took from that there i was just thinking for the athletes it's really key that that trust is built because in, in a lot of cases and i remember when i was an athlete my coach might have been the first person I told any problem, psychological, mental, emotional, finance, even. It's it's really, you're, you're actually possibly a gatekeeper at times for your physical and mental health. And I know we work quite a bit together and there are one or two other coaches I work heavily with. And what you three have in common, your eyes are wide open. You know, you're on the lookout for, well, God, the pace was off there. And you have a conversation and then you pick up, oh God, okay, it sounds like your sleep is terrible. Maybe you're really anxious. What's going on? Do you need to speak to someone? Or you bonked in an easy run the other day. What did you have for breakfast? Oh God, okay, your, your diet is really not great. Maybe we need to get a blood test. Maybe you need to speak to your dietitian. It's weird, but um, being a coach or at least doing it right it's actually a multidisciplinary event in like imagine a hospital in a patient and you're its doctor, you refer out to other professions and you pick up on when someone else's help is required. It just struck me that that's exactly what you do. That's what you just described. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, 
you, you, you quickly find when you decide to go down the coaching role that, okay, putting programs together is important. Um, and I, I said, you know, it's, it's a linchpin of any coach's success. You need to be able to program stuff correctly, but you very soon realize there's an awful lot of other stuff that goes on around that. And it's not just about putting a, a program together. It's about, you know, that there's a that holistic approach is that um, you've got to figure out all the other things that are going on in athlete's life. And the other side of that is there's very rarely an, an aha moment. It's like you very rarely have a quick conversation to train and say, okay, right, well, that's clearly wrong. It gradually emerges over time. And, mm-hmm. It's it's a case of okay that session was great, you know, and anybody can have one bad training session. We don't panic over that. It's just like okay, bad day, we we'll move on. But then you come back the next week and maybe there's another underperformance at, at training, and, and that might happen for a couple of weeks, and then there's an underperformance in a race, and then you've got to really say okay, right, we need to sit back here and see what's actually going on. Uh, and particularly if you have two or three races in a row where where you underperform, then it that's really a case of right we need to have a proper look get your bloods done have a proper chat about what's going on in your life in terms of are we training too much we're we training too little uh how are you fueling things so it, it does take time it's, it's not like that one moment where it's like the athlete opens up tells you exactly what's wrong um, you've got to figure that out as you go along and then it's a case of i think as a coach you've got to realize okay well my remit is very much in the actual training it's a case of right who do we get in get it on board here uh, to help out with the with with the problem so that could be someone like yourself if it was nutrition related uh, we've got a lot of physios good therapists that we work with um if it's uh, injury related it might be it might require some medical advice so we're trying to get a doctor who's who who who's in tune with athletes and, and it's i suppose appreciates the sport that we're involved in um, and that could be sports psychologists as well from time to time we've had athletes who just have various different issues and, and you need to employ a sports psychologists but i think from a coaching perspective it's important to realize that when a problem does crop up, you've got to go and get uh, the best advice possible and try and get the problem sorted. And that's not necessarily coming from me. It's usually from somebody external. Hmm. Really, really interesting. And maybe maybe that's not what the general idea people might have about what you do. And I just, from an outside perspective, I remember watching you speak in Wexford. And one thing that struck me was your coaching philosophy is a lot of, a lot of stuff is done at a, easier intensity to enable an athlete to go harder i'm i'm grossly oversimplifying do you find working with athletes taking on a new athlete do people tend to think they need to do way more hard stuff than is actually required or beneficial and is it hard to rein people back to train appropriately that can be the hardest part uh, when i start working with athletes (laughs) Is that, and I would say particularly some of the, the more elite athletes tend to f- fall into good habits in training because they're hanging around with other e- elite athletes and they're in that circle where they know what easy, easy days should be, they know what hard days should be. Where I found over the years is working with club runners is there's this, and I, I suppose it's, it's a natural mentality is we're all built in a way to think like the more that I put in and the harder I work, the better my results are going to be. But when it comes to endurance sport, it's not necessarily the case. It's, it's trying to make peace with the fact that your easy days need to be, you know, they still have to be done. They're not necessarily easy, but the intensity has to be low. Hmm. And then that allows you to absorb the previous hard blocks of training that you've done and also get ready for the next hard day. And I'd say over the years where I've had most success uh, with club runners is taking a lot of the intensity out of their sessions and that guys who might have been doing three days a week that are hard. And even on the other days that weren't hard, they were probably turning out to be hard because 
once people put on their trainers and went out the door, it was just like they only had two gears. It was forward and reverse. And if it went forward, it went fast. Yeah. So it's a case of trying to make peace with the fact that they've got to slow down. Um, and if athletes aren't in, in a good habit with these things, if they if they're tend to go out the door and run steady all the, the time, it can be quite hard to actually train them to run easy. Um, and that takes a period of time where you, you're trying to get the intensity down. You're getting them to appreciate the fact that their heart rate has to be lower uh, than what it is. And mm. and then that ultimately, you know, once you get those routines in place and you get that aerobic development uh, perfected a little bit, then you can start getting a little bit of forward momentum. But I've, I mean, over the years, <laughs> someone said to me lately, uh, you have a great success building an entire business and just telling people to slow down. And that's probably the case is that an awful lot of athletes just need to slow down on, on, on five days of the week and on the two days that you're going hard, that you've gone hard, but you're being specific with it. Hmm. I'm just curious because like I've seen people have terrible races. Some of my clients are club runners or they're not elite and they'll train. And I don't necessarily always ask them like, what's your heart rate when you're training? What are you doing? This is not my remit, but they'll tell me they had a terrible race. And I just wondered how does it manifest if you have an endurance athlete who mostly focuses on the wrong end of the aerobic spectrum when they're training, like they're flat out? What does that look like when they try and do like a 10 mile or a half marathon? Well, the first thing, if you go back to the training leading in, is the problem is when, is when somebody trains very hard is they do get an, a quick bang for their buck off very hard, intense training. So you can train very hard for a couple of weeks, get a quick return off it, get one good performance. But what you don't get off that type of approach is longevity. And what you find with athletes is that, and I suppose track season is the perfect example of this, is so many times you see an athlete coming out in May at the very beginning of a track season, they put a huge performance on the board and they'll turn around and say, I haven't even done any speed work yet. And you're like, this is it. <laughs> That's the whole reason that you're running so well is you haven't done the speed work yet. And, and just allow them to progress through the season um, by working on the aerobic side. But uh, in terms of, when you find that an athlete is underperforming in a race, uh, the first thing you'll see is, is they don't generally feel good during the race. In the early stages, when they're at target pace, they're under pressure after one to two miles. And if you're under pressure, let's say in a 10-mile race, if you're under pressure at your target pace after two miles, it just means you're not conditioned for that type of intensity. Um, and, and the other thing that you find then is the pace will naturally drop off a little bit in the latter stages. You'll also look, when you look back at the data afterwards, his heart rate actually begins to drop in the later stages as well because they simply don't have the fitness to keep the intensity high as well. Um, so it's just something we'd look back at after races is that, uh, you know, when an athlete is actually fit, that heart rate will continue to drift higher as the race goes on. But when an athlete is not fit, the pace begins to drop off a little bit, but also you'll see the heart rate begin to dip. And that's that's a sign of somebody who's just, I suppose in layman's terms, you're not conditioned to run the pace that you're trying to, to, to tackle on, on that day. Really interesting. I wonder... You know, because like, again, talking to a lot of my clients, they're national club level. A lot of them are elite. But if they have a bad race, I might I might have a conversation with them or they might have to book into the clinic like two days after a terrible race. They really look for something to blame. And it's rarely their training zones. It's like, oh, I had a terrible race. Like it's I had a client recently textbook what you just described doing a half marathon. Um heart rate sky high after two miles dead after three miles and he said i think i bonked and i just had to explain it's like sorry you did a carb load there's no it's physically impossible that you bonked in three miles 
unless you run three hour miles. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, he just didn't want to hear it. Like not at all. He couldn't have trained wrong. Do you find that sometimes you have to maybe state facts with, with certain clients you're working with who maybe say they're doing the zones or does that, does that ever happen? Do you find people adhere well yeah, well, I check in with pretty much everybody that I'm coaching once a week. So I'm either seeing them at the training or, you know, our faster guys. I would see them pretty much twice a week on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Uh, so you get to see them and, and you see the data afterwards. But with, even with all the club runners that I coach, um, I get them to check in. Uh, they upload all of their training, either Strava, Garmin Connect, Final Surge, whatever it might be. Um, and we'll go and have a look at that on a regular basis. So. Um, if there's a mistake being made in terms of if they're running overrunning sessions or they're going too easy, too hard, too hard on their easy days, then I'll be able to spot that pretty quickly, and mm. um, it should be able to correct. So I mean, when it gets to race day, um, that shouldn't be. If there's an athlete that I'm working with on a long term basis, that shouldn't be a problem. I think that should that's that's up to me to correct that problem as we go along based on the feedback. So like what I kind of take from that is, it's probably better to have a coach than not if you have a, spe- a specific goal because otherwise you can creep off course or you can say oh i want to run fast today or i don't want to run this slow um i imagine having you there is pretty good for accountability and staying on course like that's that's literally one of your key roles do, do you find or do you see people who come from you come to you from maybe having just steering their own training do people tend to have really bad habits exercise and training wise when they start? Um, I guess it depends on the athlete, but I'd say with most people, you need an external voice that's able to look at your training objectively. I mean, when you try to start programming your own training, it's very easy to get up caught up in noise in your own head and think, have knee jerk reactions. If you've got one day that doesn't go well, okay, I need more speed work or I need more endurance. Whereas if you've got somebody who's standing back, uh, is able to take a slightly colder look at the situation they can look at the bigger picture uh, and I think that's probably where as coaches we're of most benefit to athletes that you, you don't get emotionally caught up on it an athlete has a bad race or a bad session and they can get emotional about it and it's one thing after after races in particular um, I've just got a rule that we don't make any decisions in terms of what we do next for 48 hours after a bad mm-hmm. race and, and that goes for me as well because I mean if an athlete has a bad race I'm left scratching my head too so mm. it's a case of right. Let's let things settle for day, for two or three days. Uh, do your little bit of recovery running, and then you know we'll reconvene next week and, and chat about what we might need to change next time around. Was this just a bad day? Because of every ten races that you run, I would say two races are not going to be good. Two races are probably going to be brilliant, and there's going to be six in the middle where they're just going to be pretty much as expected and, and not overly exciting. Mm. And that's something you need to to get your head around. That if you have one bad race, a bit like what I was saying earlier. If it turns into a series of two or three bad races, okay, there's a problem there. We need to correct it. But one bad race, um, you know, no need for knee-jerk reactions on, on, based on the back of that. Do you know what? It's very similar with, with diet. Like people might start working with meat so they can eat healthier. It's not that they don't necessarily know what vegetables are or that they shouldn't eat 18 bars of chocolate. It's just mm. something it's easier if there's an external person saying, well, maybe we could do this instead of, you think what you think you need to do or yeah i guess that objectivity element you can't be objective with yourself even if you try because you'll always have like that cognitive bias lens that you're looking mm. through yes um in your experience emmett 
when someone does have a bad race or a series of bad races, what are the common culprits? What tends to pop up for athletes? So I guess the first thing I would normally do with athletes is we'd probably get bloods done hmm. because low iron tends to be a traditional issue for endurance runners. Um, so and particularly with, with females. Uh, it tends to be more of a problem. So generally speaking, we'll get that, have a look at that. We'll also have a look at some of the other blood markers uh, in relation to iron and also in relation to uh, white blood cells, like the neutrophils and things like that, maybe vitamin D, uh, thyroid hormones, stuff like that, just to see, is there anything obvious? Um, I'd say 50% of the time after you get that done, nothing shows up. So you've got to go head scratching a little bit further <laughs> because very often you think, oh yeah, your iron's probably low. We'll get that checked and then the iron comes back and the iron's absolutely fine. So it's like, okay, right, where do we go from here? Um, and one other thing that I've added in for a lot of the athletes, um, particularly if I think they're under a lot of stress outside of uh, training, is we've got them to track heart rate variability. This is something I've started using an awful lot mm. more this year. And it's a really good way of quantifying, I suppose, your ability to absorb the training for a start, but also an, a, a way of quantifying the stress that people are under outside of training. So the things that really drive HRV, if you're not familiar with it, is heart rate variability. It's it's not just measuring your heart rate, but it's also measuring your, your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And in a nutshell, what it does is it gives you an idea of the level of stress that your body is under. So when you're training hard, you would expect that HRV to be suppressed to a certain amount, um, but you don't want it suppressed too much. Mm. because then you're not responding to the training but what really drives it in terms of stuff outside of training is stress um poor sleep uh alcohol and travel and they're the big things that you will see that will really throw the hrv out of whack and i suppose what you'll see is is a lot of the athletes will send me just a, a screenshot of their hrv once a week and we'll see right are you adapting to training are you not and then if there's if there's days where it's really out of whack okay what's happened here were you traveling a lot the day before? Uh, maybe you were out having a couple of pints and, and then you try to do a hard session afterwards. You know, obviously that's a no-no. Um, and like I said, you're looking at trends over time as well is if they're not reacting well to the training, even though they're doing everything as part of their training zones, you know, the, the, those 10 hours a week that they're training are perfect. Uh, it's a case of what's happening outside of that. And that HRV is something I found really useful over the last few months. And for anyone listening who's thinking, oh, I'd like to start monitoring that. How is there an app? There is, yeah. So uh, HRV for training, so the number four uh, is the app that we use. Uh, I have no affiliation with these guys, uh, so just in case anyone would think that we're uh, plugging a product or anything like that. It's just, I, I've done a lot of research on it. That was the one that probably uh, came up as being most reliable. And you can monitor it through uh, the chest strap. If you've got a Bluetooth chest uh, heart rate monitor, or else you can actually use the light on the phone and just place your finger over the light mm. and, and the data and the research suggests that that is a very accurate way of doing it as well. Um, oh, on that particular app, it's really good. And I think it's about 10 euro or so to download the app. Um, a guy called Marco Altini is behind it. He's probably the uh, one of the prime researchers in, in the world in terms of when it comes to HRV. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's got a lot of really good articles on it. You get a lot of stuff on the website as well. Um, hmm. And that's probably the best way of, of using it. The one thing that is that requires a little bit of work when it comes to HRVs, you've got to use the same protocol each morning. So that usually means when you wake up, you might get up, use the bathroom, brush your teeth, then you go and sit down or lie down on the bed again and, and you take sort of one to two minutes to take the HRV. That has to be the same every morning. So if you get up, run around the house for 20 minutes or half an hour and then go back, oh, I haven't taken my HRV, it's going to be a little bit out of whack. So have a coffee. Exactly. Yeah. So you want to avoid that. The other thing that often comes up is many people will use uh, the Aura Ring or the Whoop. Mm. And I guess the from the research that I've done on it is that they're, they're probably not as reliable as that app and using uh, taking that one to two minute reading in the morning wow and it, it's crazy marketing would have you believe otherwise yeah and again look, I, i'm just basing this off of my own research and reading on it but they they take readings through the night which tends to be from what i've read on is not as reliable as taking that you know reading first thing in the morning when you've got your uh, exact same protocol every day that mm. tends to be the best way to do it really interesting and i suppose what i would see with clients man i used to do this as an athlete myself you compartmentalize away exam stress psychological stress worries personal issues from training i used to have them like these are different types of stress they have no bearing on one another I, I, i've grown to learn obviously that's woefully wrong like <laughs> probably it was probably my uh my um the you know destroyer as an athlete that i didn't appreciate that but this sounds like a very simple way to not compartmentalize or allow yourself to ignore problems because it's it's literally quantifying how stressed you are i think that's really cool mm-hmm. really really and a lot of the time it's telling you stuff that you already you already know so let's say last weekend we were up in Donegal for the nationals and, and it was right up the top end of Donegal. so we had obviously they all ran the national cross country on sunday they had a four or five hour drive home afterwards everybody's hrv was absolutely you know way out of whack on the Monday morning and that's what you would expect you're tired mm. you've had a race you've been you've been um traveling a lot it's telling you something you already know but sometimes we need to be told stuff that uh, is quite obvious um and yeah and it's, it's just it's just a way of quantifying that and i suppose one other uh, i suppose place where uh from athletes that i've coached over the years is guys who are who people who work night shifts Mm. I found very difficult to get traction with their and progress with their training. And again, it's not that they were um that they weren't following the plan, they were doing everything to a T, but obviously because their body is a little bit out of whack from work at nights as opposed to day shifts, um, I've just found it was, it was very difficult to get progress of those guys. And if, if, I I would imagine if we were tracking heart rate variability with those guys at the time, then it probably would have told us why. Man, night night shift has such a catastrophic effect on your body. Like I saw, I'd seen data or research that it's actually classed as a type of carcinogen even now. Mm. And if you look at even something like insulin sensitivity, like at night, it's like on the floor. So night, night shift working for people who 
you know, they, they have their main meals at nighttime because they're working, they're way more likely to become type 2 diabetics, not because of the content of their diet, but just because humans aren't really supposed to be awake at nighttime. That's yeah. you know what I mean. It, we kind of know that it's not great for you, but when you actually measure it, you can see like, Jesus, that's a real number. That's horrible. That, that, that's hard. So I suppose practically, Emmett, if you have an athlete doing night shift, how do you manage the night shifts? Like the night shifts, not like a 12 o'clock finish, but finishing at 7 a.m. and going home for a three-hour nap. You're really just trying to squeeze the training in. Um, I guess you've got to be cognizant of if there's a couple of night shifts in a row, that mm. the further you get into that little block of night shifts, that the easier the training needs to get. And if there's rest days, they need to be scheduled towards the end of that little block. Uh, it depends on, on the person and it depends on their routine. Mm. Uh, but you definitely need to know what their working routine is, uh, what night they're on night shifts, and then try and coordinate training around that. And very often as well, then there might be athletes who normally do two hard workouts a week. Maybe when you're on night shifts, you might only have the ability to do one hard workout. Or maybe it might just be a case of just running easy for the week because you don't have the energy reserves to do mm. hard work on top of doing night shifts as well. It's crazy that uh, well, it's not crazy to me because when I have a when I have a consultation with someone, my God, I could ask them a million questions. And people sometimes think, "Why is the answer what I do for work? How could that possibly be relevant?" But everything factors into this stuff. Um, I just wanted to ask because this is the Fuel Better podcast, so better situation for a minute. You as an athlete, so in case people don't know, you were an athlete and I think you competed at a fairly respectable level how was your diet as an athlete back in the day um it's funny I'd say my views on nutrition have probably come full circle in that my views now are very similar to where they were when I was in my mid-teens yeah um, I, I remember when I started out running I was on a squad uh, squad camp up in Donegal town and Joe Doonan was uh, given the talk and I don't know if many people remember Joe but Joe super coach coached Katrina McKernan for the majority of her career uh, would have coached I think Noel, Noel Berkeley for a while as well uh, but brilliant coach really scientific and he was talking about heart rates and stuff and lactates at that time that was probably the late 90s uh, but remember one thing that he used really tried to get across it was, I suppose it was a theme of a lot of camps that time was the the requirement to carbohydrate load before training after after sessions and just that carbs were really important for an athlete and then as as i suppose as i got into my 20s and started, you start reading all sorts and i think there was a phase probably for about 10 15 years ago where uh, i would have looked at a slight alternatives when it came to nutrition and and they were they were very much fashionable at the time and that it was sort of high fat low carb was one that was around for a long time and then uh, when team sky were uh, doing their thing through the sort of uh, the late 2000s uh, or 2010 to 2015, um, there was a big emphasis on this sort of, uh, you know, fuel for the work required is what they called it, um, but probably taken it to an extreme and that there was some very high carb days and very low carb days. Um, I probably would have experimented with a little bit of that at times, didn't get much traction out of it, and particularly that high fat, low carb approach, um, which got a lot of, uh, it got a lot of airtime within the nutritional community at the time and then gradually as there was a couple of studies done on it it was people began to realize okay this is not all it's meant to be and now i'm back to you know the same thing is that you've got to start you've got to fuel 
uh, with carbohydrates and, and they're, they're your primary fuel as a distance runner. Um, but going back to the, the, the sort of high fat, low carb stuff, I'm sorry, obviously you've come across this plenty, but the, the, the study that kind of really opened a lot of people's eyes on that one was a study that was done in the Australian Institute of Sport where they took a lot of very high level race walkers and put them on that diet. And where they found that they were getting more fat ad- adapted, they, their performance wasn't improving because their overall economy was actually dropping. So, you know, I guess it's one thing that when athletes would come to me, you know, wondering about that, and I'm sure you probably come across it as well, is that if your event is is certainly four or five hours or less, uh, carbs are, are your primary fuel source, and and you know, maybe there's some benefits to fat adaptation if you're in, if you're an ultra runner. But um, yeah, so I suppose that's where my my circle of thought on nutrition has come. Few carbohydrates are are, are king. Good. Well, I'm really glad to hear that, and I suppose to to go one point further with that question nutrition problems that you see in athletes now what tends to pop up apart from iron deficiency what do you see in emmet yeah i'd say iron deficiency um it would be still one of the primary things i'd come across um in terms of fueling i think a lot of athletes don't appreciate the fact that they're not refueling properly after workouts or before big runs um and this is an awful lot of runners uh, club runners in particular they're just not fueling and they don't appreciate how uh, important carbohydrates are the night before even a big workout obviously they're important the day before race or before a marathon and that's something that gets huge emphasis but even just on a day-to-day uh, and week-to-week basis is you've got to fuel you know before your your big sessions and you've got to fuel afterwards and i think um that's something it's very basic it's basically just telling them to eat plenty before and eat plenty soon afterwards but that is, yeah. I'd say, in terms of nutritional issues, that's probably the main thing I come across. I mean, a lot of people are looking for advice in terms of what to eat or what not to eat. All of us know what not to eat. And if you cut junk food out of your, food, out yeah. of your diet, that solves 90% of the very basic problems. And then it's a case of right, what's actually performance-related or uh, sport-related. You know, but I mean, if you're, if, like I said, if you're eating 18 bears of chocolate at night, okay, well, that's a fairly obvious problem. I think there's nobody doing that that doesn't know that it's a problem. But... A little bit of education around the sports-specific stuff can go a long way. I think that's a great point. And a good example is when people go on the ketogenic diet, they lose weight for a couple of reasons. One of them being they don't actually know what is left to eat, so they, they eat less, so they lose weight. Similarly, I know athletes when they come to me, so a question I'll ask is like, what do you think your diet should look like? And they say, no McDonald's, no pizza, no Coke. And I'm like, I didn't ask you what does Weight Watchers do. I said, what, yeah. what should an athlete's diet look like? They only know what not to do. They only know the wrongs. They don't know how to, to, do, to do things right. And maybe this will surprise you or maybe you, you won't be surprised at all. If you look at nutrition knowledge with athletes, they tend to score like a C minus slash like D if you were to grade them. That's, that's tending to be where it is irrespective of um the level which with which they compete and so it can be massive like i know some of the guys you're working with have big training volumes because they need to or it's very very intense and their calorie outputs are monstrous in training it's particularly poignant for those guys and gals to be well fueled or they're going to run into a boatload of problems or just not be as good as they could do you do you find that I kind of see a growing awareness around diet and nutrition now 
partly from social media, perhaps, and uh, partly from coach education. Do you think it's getting better? It's definitely improving. Uh, it's still got a long way to go. I guess at an elite level, it's very much something that's an emphasis on for athletes when they go on camps is that the need to fuel the training it is and that that's a point that gets hammered home a lot and that's great um, mm-hmm. what i find is with athletes who are sort of little, the next tier down as club runners is are still lacking a little bit in terms of the education on the side and so many times over the years athletes um that have been working with have would say they're struggling a little bit in training energy was like how about you eat a little bit more next week the night before the session or the morning of the session um and it's amazing. It's like an instant reaction. It's like I've got so much more energy. And from my point of view, it's almost, I, I almost feel like I'm saying something that's too obvious. And yet that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, I sometimes describe it as a cash flow problem. It's like you're trying to fund this work, but you have no dollars in the bank. It's like you have to pay for it some way. If you don't pay for it, you just don't get a great experience. And that's dropping out mid rep or, it's missing your session the next day because you're absolutely in bits or it's getting injured. Um, mm. Really interesting thing that I've come across, like I'm I'm not really far into my PhD yet, but it's still blowing my mind. Some of the things that I've seen, we all know that not eating enough is a problem for men and women and it can present differently. There's research and it's shown that the pattern with which someone eats is just as impactful on endocrine and reproductive health and bone markers as the amount. So they saw that, you know, if you have athletes who do loads of fasted work, Mm. skip a meal or they train like a college athlete, they go to college for four hours, then train, no food. If you have a big negative within the energy balance, the bigger that is, the more of a disruption to your testosterone and cortisol levels in particular you see which is insane because it can happen after just like one day two days of doing that imagine a first year college student great runner up to like all Ireland schools go to college no one helps them with their cooking uh they've no idea what they're at big training volume it's not a surprise that athletics and endurance sports has such a high attrition rate I think people are burning out left, right, and center because of subtle, small things like this. Yeah, and it's a combination of that. So the nutrition is one aspect of it, and particularly when they go to college, is, is that not only that they got that nutritional aspect that might be failing them, the volume of training tends to go up because they're at sort of 18, 19, 20 years of age. If you're going to be competitive as a senior, you need to start bringing the mileage and the volume of training up every week. So that's, you know, I suppose that's exaggerating the problem further. And then the fact that they're left to their own devices a little bit. When they're in school, everything is looked after for you in a certain, to a certain extent and that your, your, your day and your routine and your week is very well planned out, whereas you're in control of all of that when you get to third level. And I suppose because coaching in UCD the last couple of years, you, that's something that you see that has to be managed. Um, and it's very easy for to, to slip into bad habits in those early, early stages and, and yeah, I have a very promising senior career can unravel for a variety of reasons. Yeah, man, it can be such simple things. Like a lot of the a lot of the times, the things that help my clients the most, just yesterday, for example, he's not a student anymore. Guy was in his office, Ironman athlete, and I said, you know, if you had food in that fridge in your office, you could eat that food. And he actually went, oh, yeah. 
I could put food in that fridge and eat it when I'm at work instead of not eating for like 10 hours a day. And that was it. That changed, like that's changed things for him now. That was a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. And that objectivity sometimes can be really helpful. And something as small as get a wrap in Centra on campus in between the lecture and people go, yeah, I could do that. And then next week they're in way better form. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, diet, diet is it's important. Um, anyway, it's it's been interesting. I I don't want to keep I don't want to keep you too long. I have one more question, but it's it's maybe in one or two bits. If you were to give someone who is thinking about doing a marathon for the first time in twenty twenty three a belt, what would you say to them? Where would you point them for resources? How should they start? So I guess first of all. When anybody says that they're going to move to the marathon, I would, and regardless of what level they're at, I'd be inclined to ask them, like, have you maximized your potential over the shorter distances first? Because there's always that carrot of doing a marathon. But if depends on if you if you want to just do the distance, tick the box and say, I've done a marathon, um, that's fine. But if, you, if for people who are interested in performances, get your shorter distance times down, first of all. You know, have you... Do you feel you've maximized your potential over 5k, 10k, and half marathon before you go moving to the marathon? Right. So if you've if you're happy with all that and you decide to move to the marathon next year, um the key is when you're training for endurance, is is keeping the ball rolling, is staying consistent with your training, is that no one week is gonna make you, but make or break it, but that consistency over time is ultimately what gets what gets you a really good performance out of it. Um and if you're going down that road and you're not very experienced with, with training for that long distances, get a coach or get somebody, it might be somebody in your club that could put a plan together for you. Um, but get a little bit of help if you're not familiar with it. And that could be some of your, your training buddies either. And have somebody external to you that can give you a bit of objective feedback on a regular basis so that you're not left to your own devices for the entire program because it's very easy to get caught up in your own head get up, mm. ca- ca- caught up in the noise of, of, of individual sessions and individual runs and try to change things as you go along but put the plan in place a couple of weeks or a couple of months in advance and then just follow it and, and if you need minor tweaks along the way that's fine but have somebody external make those tweaks for you there you go you've heard it from the man himself because a lot of my a lot of my listeners are marathon runners or prospective marathon runners so that's that's the gospel there are you going running another double marathon program in 2023 we are so for anyone there's probably a few people on this that were working with myself and yourself last year and uh, we ran a 17 week program into the double marathon and an awful lot of those guys came back to me in in, in november said they wanted a little bit of guidance through the year so we put a three-month program together for the winter which takes us through to February and that will take in Jingle Bells 5k next week with Heaney 5 mile and then a 10 mile another you know, Trim Dungarvan or wherever else in February then we'll do another little block leading from February up as far as probably July to get people through that you know spring phase of the year and then the marathon specific program will kick off again in July next year and I guess for people who just wondering what it's about uh, it was myself yourself and we had Colin Griffin on board to do strength and conditioning uh, we called it the No Stone Unturned program because what I wanted was to get give people you know three or four months of guidance where they were literally any questions that they had uh, around training or preparation for a marathon was, was covered uh, and that they had everything given to them and it was all done through the an app uh, called Final Surge and 
yeah, I think we the feedback of it was really, really positive. We had an awful lot of uh, very strong performances in Dublin. Uh, the weather conditions in Dublin definitely scuppered with things for quite a lot of people. It was pretty warm and humidity was high. Uh, but uh, a lot of the guys are, are coming back on board for next year and we'll be hoping to expand it a little bit more and, and run it again in 2023. So if anyone is interested, keep an eye out for that. Uh, and if you're looking for any of the preparation programs, you can keep an eye on, on the website or Instagram. Uh, we usually advertise them through there. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Fuel Better podcast. Please stay tuned for our next guest. Not going to tell you who it is. It is going to be an interesting episode. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend, drop a review, or share it on social media. It helps us get out there. For anyone looking for advice on running, coaching, you want to see how the best in the world do it, follow Emmett Dunleavy on Instagram. Emmett, what's your Instagram handy? It's just Emmett Dunleavy, fairly straightforward. Emmett with two M's and two T's. And two E's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Unreal. All right, Emmett, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Emmett. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you once again for tuning in to today's episode of the Feel Better podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have been enjoying the podcast in general, it's still in its relative infancy, but I believe I have a strong core of uh, hardcore listeners. Again, thank you very much for that. That is actually really appreciated. If you want to show your appreciation, if you have been listening since this podcast's debut back in I think early 2021 I'd appreciate if you could drop me a review on Spotify hopefully a nice one if you could tell a friend about the podcast give it a share stick it up on your story on Instagram all of that stuff really really helps me to get this podcast out there which is ultimately what I want anyways thank you again And please stay tuned for the next installment of the Fuel Better podcast. Until then, guys, take it easy. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.